on the first episode of the Tennis Connection podcast, we have one of the coolest guys in the industry, Jason Stacey. He has over 20 years experience as a high performance coach and soft tissue therapist. He says coaching is more than just his job. It's part of his DNA. Jason has physically and mentally prepared some of the world's best athletes and coaches in a number of sports across the globe. Following his mindset and movement methods, several of his athletes have become Olympic, World and Commonwealth champions. After living on four different continents and working in over 30 countries, it is natural that he takes a person-first approach to his coaching. He strongly believes to build a champion, you must spend equal amounts of time and energy on developing the person, not just the player. The mindset and the movement are inseparable. When he is not mentoring coaches or helping his athletes become the best in the world, you will find him doing one of three things, studying, teaching, or sweating, and he's often doing all three at once. Of course, he continues to train and treat a variety of athletes in a wide range of sports from junior to elite. Loyalty, purpose, passion, and trust. These words are what Jason refers to as his compass. Jason, and welcome to the WTCA's podcast, The Tennis Connection. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Today is the middle Sunday of Wimbledon, and it's a day off. And so welcome, and I'm looking forward to chatting to you. Yes, well, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm fired up. I'm very excited to have a chat with you, guys, with you and see where this all goes. Talk all kinds of things, huh? I'm excited. I'm fired up. Let's do this. All right, great. <laughs> So let's just let's just start out with your initial feelings about Wimbledon, what it's like to be there. Can you give our listeners just a little picture of what a day in the life is like at Wimbledon? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, Wimbledon is I mean, everyone says, oh, it's, you know, amazing and it's best and this and that. Like, I agree. (laughs) It's one of my favorite tournaments. And I don't know. I don't know if it's easy to put into words what it's what it is about Wimbledon. I love one thing it is, it's the grass. You know, I have this sense like when I go to a park and there's a big open field of, you know, beautiful green grass and huge open space, I just feel like I want to go play. I want to go run around. I want to do some exercise. I want to play some games. I want to, you know, roll around in it. It sounds kind of weird. Like, a, you know, I get this image of like a puppy dog when he gets out of the car and he sees this huge open grass. He's just all over the place and just goes nuts. And every time you go to Wimbledon and you see this, you know, beautifully manicured grass everywhere and it's just, it's just nice, fresh air. It's the people are all excited. Um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. You see so many, you know, amazing athletes who are, are going through all this process of, you know, they're getting excited, they're getting nervous, they're getting anxious, they're getting fired up. You've seen the coaches and the people interacting with the, the athletes. You see all these, like, famous people coming through to come watch the matches. And, yeah, it just has an interesting atmosphere. I love it. I love it. It's a, it's a great time of year. And for us personally, uh, you know, we always hire a house um, near the courts. So we, you know, get to stay in a nice house with a kitchen. We get to make our own food, just walk to the courts and back. You know, versus, you know, most of the year we spend in, you know, our hotels. <laughs> so it's nice just to kind of feel like you're almost like at the end of the day, you can kind of come home and just relax a little bit and make your own food. So yeah, it's quite nice. I enjoy it. So today is an easy day for you at, on the Sunday of Wimbledon. That's right. It's that Sunday where they don't play any matches. So, I mean, it, it depends on the year, right? Like like this year now with the player I'm with, we decided to have the, the day off, um, sent her off to go watch a musical, The Lion King. Um, Dimitri, the coach, went out to do some stuff. I went out to the park, had a little workout, just organizing some some um, programming and some session planning for, for the, the next few days. So we're just kind of chilling out, taking it easy, and I get a chance to talk to you and um, all the listeners, which is even better. <laughs> um, so, yeah, pretty, pretty laid back day, actually. It's nice. Fantastic. Um, mm. So you were mentioning earlier uh, that you, you really see the players having – pressures and struggles and the expectations of a grand slam um yeah. that's obviously i mean you you've just been at eastbourne on the grass but now you're mm-hmm. coming into the ultimate grass court tournament <laughs> how how are things a little bit different do you think from the perspective of pressure well i mean it, honestly i believe that well okay it's, it is real pressure it's different but it's it's there i think it's because people almost create that you know, when you go to Eastburn, yes, it's it's a big tournament. There's lots of people around, but it doesn't have that same sense. Like when you walk into Wimbledon, there's cameras everywhere. There's, um, you know, all the sportscasters and news agents and all the, you know, all the, 
um, ex-pros and the ex-legends and all the you know current ones. It's like everyone's there and everyone wants your attention. So you, it's it's hard not to to get that sense that okay, this is a bigger event because that's all people talk about is that it's a bigger event. So to be honest, I think most of that pressure that you, they feel is it's, it's it's more the perception of things rather than a, a reality because a match is a match. It, it doesn't matter what the, the name on the front door is of the title of of, of the actual tournament or on the paperwork, they're all the same. Like you still need to prepare the same way. You still need to go out and compete, whether it's in front of, you know, your friends and family, or if it's in front of, you know, a huge stadium of people, it's, you know, it's still the same thing. I think most of the reason they feel these pressures is because that's all people talk about. I think too often, like even the coaches and even themselves that they're, you know, the media, everywhere you talk about, it's like, oh, it's Wimbledon, it's Wimbledon, it's Wimbledon, or it's a Grand Slam, it's Grand Slam. So it's like built up. So you can't help it when you walk in because you're like, okay, I'm here now. Okay. uh, You know, so they, they, they almost... Um, create this sort of self, I don't know if I want to say sabotage, but they definitely put the pressure on themselves purely by the perception. And yes, like I said, the environment does sort of create that too, because you know, it's everywhere you walk, walk into any of the restaurants, there's just cameras everywhere. There's people everywhere. There's just, it's hard not to get that sense that, wow, this is a big day, you know, a big, a big event. But even if it's what you say makes perfect sense. And I think Mm. in many respects across the world of tennis, a lot of the pressure we feel we do manifest ourselves so do you have would you have advice how do you deal with that pressure how do you sit down and go i'm still just playing tennis how do you help deal with all of that well then so that's just a very small question isn't it (laughs) (laughs) that's like the trillion dollar question how do you do that well i mean it, it is a very big question you know one of the things I always start off with most of those types of questions, because it's true and it annoys most of my coaches that I, I mentor and the athletes I work with is it depends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of variables here. I mean, it, you know, it, a lot of it depends on the, the, the actual athlete that you're working with, um, their background, their personal expectations, where they are right now in their, ten- in their game, in their tennis, you know, how they're feeling, how confident they are, what, they, what they've been going through. The, you know, most of how you would deal with a big event is nothing to do with the actual event. But when you get here, most of it has to do with the lead up. Just like I was mentioning before, all this pressure that they get is that on the way to Wimbledon, all people are talking about is Wimbledon's coming. You know, you hear about it in the press, you talk, you know, it's, it's, so it's managing their exposure to, oh, this big event's coming, managing their focus on well, what are they thinking about and talking about? Are they, are they future-based? Are they keep thinking about what's coming? Or are they just focusing on the match that they have today at Eastburn or at you know Queens or wherever they happen to be? So it's it's managing their focus is a big part of that. The other I would say is probably managing their language. You know, you hear a lot, I hear a lot of players like all oh, the you know even let's say within a single match, you always hear about those important points. It's like, well, what points aren't important? You know, which ones are not important versus more important? So obviously, I get there's moments that are can change a match or some transition moments. There's, you know, or the, or the momentum can shift or you can close off a match. And if you don't close it up, then they might come back and the momentum shifts. Like, I clearly understand that. But the reality is every point is just should be just as important as the other. And so I think, so like I said, their focus, the language that they're using, and the other part is the environment, the team. So all the other coaches, the hitting partners, the trainers, like whoever else, the parents, like whoever else is involved um, directly and even indirectly with communicating with that player, it's managing all of our language. And all of our focus, all of our language has to do with right now where we are now, not worrying about the future when we get there. It's not um, putting more attention or pressure or importance on one match over another. You know, And again, when I say this is context-based, I mean some athletes, they need that. Some, sometimes there's certain moments and certain athletes or individuals that you need to put more pressure on them and say, yes, you know what, you're right. This round one of Wimbledon is the most important match of your life. It doesn't matter. I don't care what. You need to go win, period. And you got to put pressure on them. Other one, other people you do that with and they'll fall apart. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? They'll be like, oh, my gosh, I can handle that pressure. So it's just really managing our language and how we are, um, you know, the energy that we're putting in the environment. If we're starting to feel pressure, like as coaches, then they're going to start to feel that pressure, right? We have to be the ones that are, are, are steady, that are clear. If our athletes are a little bit flat, you know, and they, we think they need a kick in the butt to like, you know, you need to put, you know, recognize where you are and like, you know, get, you know, it's fire up, you know, this, this, this engine and this intensity that you need to bring because you've got, you're going to go out and compete and it doesn't matter who you're facing, what ranking they are, if they're seated, if they got a wild card, if they just got lucky or whatever it is, everyone shows up to Wimbledon or every match to fight to like compete. 
So if they're a bit flat, we need to pick them up and like get them, you know, a little bit of fire under their feet. If they're a little bit over aroused and over, you know, they're putting too much attention and they're, they're, they're over aroused. They don't perform very well when they're overstimulated, over aroused. And we need to find ways to, you know, get them to settle down. So how we deal with focus, you know, uh, dealing with that pressure, there's, there's a lot of elements here. And it's so context-based, you know, from, from the different people to the different environments, like who's working in that environment to the particular moment, because you might have an athlete who normally they, 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 they perform best when they're more aroused and they're more sort of, they need, they like having that bit of pressure, but for whatever reason right now, because they've had some other pressures outside of their tennis world and their personal life, that that added pressure is making it really heavy on them and they can't deal with it. So you need to find ways to get them to, to you know, be more calm and have some more relaxation and to, to, to take that pressure off because you can't control the external um, things that are happening to them, you know, whether it's family or financial or, or whatever, or sponsors or managers or, you know, there's so many different things that go on. So I hope that makes sense. That's, that's, that's only a very small part of how you deal with pressure. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's really interesting. I think that's probably something that is interesting for so many people because you can apply it to so many aspects of life. Um, sure. But I feel like, is there, I know this is like kind of tricky because you've just answered yeah. how you deal with pressure, but if you could pick sure, yeah. one thing that was maybe a constant that actually you've found that applies to any type of player, like, because mm -hmm. you were saying, okay, yes. it's language and it's preparation, sure. but it depends on the player. It depends on the person. Is there mm. one thing you've seen in your experience that actually is a constant, no matter who the person is that helps? Yeah, of course. There's always, I think there's always, you know, some, some things that cross over, whether it's in different sports to different individuals, to different experience levels. There's definitely things that work across the board. And then there's just those little details of, um, of the timing and the context, you know, the, how we might apply that to this particular situation. So, I mean, there's probably a number of those things that just off the top of my head, I would say one of the things we're talking about, I suppose, let me just to kind of almost change your words around instead of calling it pressure is it's almost like how much belief or confidence do they have going in, right? Because if someone's feeling good and feeling, you know, that they can do this, they believe that yeah, it's going to be a challenge to them. It's not a threat. They're feeling like, you know, they, they have some beliefs and some confidence that they'll do well and they'll perform well, then there's less sort of that negative type of pressure. So one of the ways that I've helped, that I, I focus on for myself as a coach, as well as with my, any of my coaches I work with or the athletes, um, is having a focus on compassion and self-compassion versus focusing on confidence and how they're feeling. And, and so what I mean by, I'm not sure if you understand what that means, but like, so self-compassion. So how would I put this simply? Because we don't have a lot of time. So oh, someone's facing a lot of pressure or they're having a stressful thing happening in their life or they've tried something and they failed, right? They, 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 they couldn't achieve what they wanted to or they lost a match or they, whatever it might be, there's something, they're struggling with something right now. You know, people, what I try to get the athletes to do is like, okay, I know what you're feeling right now. And, and this doesn't always make the pain go away necessarily. It just helps them get through it quicker. And the more they do this, the more resilient they come in, quicker they recognize the issue and, they, and the faster that they can make adjustments. But having that compassion for themselves. So I'll, I'll ask, okay, you know, player, you know, whatever the person's name is, Joe Smith, um, you know, what would you say to a friend or someone you care about that was going through exactly what you are right now? Like, what would you say to them? And so... The thing is, is that people get so hard on themselves, they put so much pressure on themselves, whether they, they, they feel like they did everything they could or, you know, in preparation, you know, nothing goes perfect every time. There's always something that goes, you know, not as smooth as it could have, right? Everyone shows up to a competition, like maybe a little bit sore, tired, injured, sick, you know, they had some distraction. So I try to get them to focus more on like treating themselves like they would somebody else that they care about. Wow. Because often we yeah. just, you know what I mean? So... I think that's for me has been um, very, very helpful in all the different environments I've worked in. It's been helpful for me in my life. Like I know we didn't talk about my background, but you know, I've been in the industry over 20 some odd years as a, as a coach of different, you know, different backgrounds. But like as a kid um, from when I was about 13 to 16, I was homeless. I was by myself. Wow. Um, no, excuse me. <laughs> oh, pardon me. Oh, I got a emotional. That's weird. Anyway, I usually don't get all emotional. Anyhow, that's the thing. This kind of thing is what's helped me, you know, get through a lot of pressure or adversity or stress. And I think a lot of people miss that. I think they miss, they, so, they focus so much on the confidence of like all these external factors, you know, these things that they can't always control, like 
their confidence and the amount of pressure they feel on themselves is so de um, dependent on the result that they got or the matches they've won or the money in the bank or the, you know, once I have this or once I've done that, then I'll feel good. And if I feel good, then I can perform well. well all those things are dependent on things that they don't have 100% of control of. How they treat themselves, they do. Do you feel like your background, um, which I didn't know about, uh, has impacted or affected the way that you communicate with people now? Um, well, yeah, I think in, in a way where, I mean, because, I mean, gosh, I've worked in so many environments now and and I, I definitely, yes. Obviously, I think it's for everyone. You know, everyone has a story. Everyone has things that, you know, made them who they are right now and how they see things. I think for me, it's helped me become more patient and more resilient knowing I know that no matter what's going on, if, um, you know, a player's having a rough time, you know, offer on the court, that it's not permanent, right? It's not forever. There's always going to be, you know, if we just keep moving through this stuff. So I, I trust, and I hate this sounds cheesy, but I trust the process, for lack of a better word, right? Like whatever the process happens to be. I love that you know, phrase. I, yeah, yeah, I do too. But sometimes I think people rely on it too much. Like they don't, you know, they don't, well, that's another story. Like I think, yeah, they definitely trust the process, but I don't see a lot of, I don't often see coaches who also trust the process. They, they get, they get stressed out and freaked out and they, or they don't, they don't live it themselves, if that makes sense. And yes. they don't follow a process too. So that's the reason I say that, you know, in the sense of, you know, that's, to me, that's one of those, I hear most coaches saying that, but not living that, you know right. what I mean? So that's what I meant by that. that I, I believe that I like the saying as well, but um, so anyway, so, at, so one of the things to answer your question is I, I try to help them understand and start to teach them about having self-compassion over having self-confidence. Mm -hmm. Confidence comes and goes for all of us. But compassion can be there forever, and that's that helps them get through those things. A couple other things I would do is, um, you know, we do a lot of breathing practice, like different breathing techniques. So if someone needs to be stimulated or if they need to be settled down, every night my athletes, we do some sort of breathing every day, whether it's on court, during training, during exercise, during practice, during matches, afterward at the you know at the house, at the hotel, at the at the courts, we do you know some legs up breathing, do do different types of breathing type stuff. Um, again, I can go into more details of that if you want to, but it's just to help them take some time out because we're so busy. Like, it doesn't matter if you're a tennis player, it doesn't matter what you do, a parent, to, you work at a, you know, you know, office job. We, we're just in a world where we're nonstop, just information and pressure and expectations and people want our attention and, you know, we're just give, 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 give. And with athletes there, everyone's watching and measuring everything they do. That the breathing for me is, yep, there's a lot of very great benefits on, um, um, physiologically speaking and, and psychologically speaking of, you know, laying down, breathing this, this way, helps you be more parasympathetic, helps you recover more, helps you think more calmly and clearly. I'd love to hear more about the breathing. Yeah. And, and yeah, for sure. Like I'll tell you a couple of things that I use, but one of the biggest things it does, even if they don't follow the breathing rhythm or it takes some time to get it because it takes a bit of practice, making them just stop, like literally just stop. Put your phone away, put off the music, put off, just stop. Go away by yourself somewhere, throw your legs up on the couch or whatever, you know, lay on the floor, throw your legs up on some pillows or whatever it is, and just lay there, breathe, just chill out, like take time out. Like it literally recharges your batteries. Like physically, it's easier on your heart, your physiology, your nervous system. It all just says, oh, thank you, jeez. <laughs> and so it, it, it's, it's like, I, and this is something I actually have the coaches doing as well, or when I because I do a lot of coaching, mentoring as well. I do mentorships with you know, businesses as well as uh, uh, other skill-based coaches and strength coaches, you know, sort of mixed in there. And this is what I have them do because I do the same. I, I'm busy. I'm nonstop. I work in a lot of different professional elite-level sport um, as well as I do lots of lecturing and teaching and mentoring. I'm like all over the place. I've got three little kids. I'm an athlete myself. I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Like I'm just wow. go, 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 go like most of us, right? And so – and I, and I, and people who know me know that I go through spurts where I, like, I don't sleep. I'll go to bed like, you know, which is terrible. I shouldn't say this, but it's true. I'll go to bed like three or four o'clock in the morning, get up at six and go all day. And like, I'm just nonstop, but how I manage my energy. So that was one of the other key things that, that you say, you know, I, that I use no matter who I'm working with is I teach people how to manage their energy and not their time. Right. I want, so time management, oh, okay, time, we we'll do this. And with this many hours of this practice and this much training and this much recovery and so it's all this time managing. I have them focus more on managing their energy. Some of that has to do with breathing, but a lot of it is like taking time out. So I'll give you two examples with the athletes. I'll give you a couple examples. So say during a match, 
I have anytime they have a moment where there's they're not playing, whether it's between serves or at changeovers, um, between sets, whatever it might be. I get them to create a habit of just stopping, taking some nice deep breaths. And the main focus of those breaths are to exhale slow as you can. Right. So there's you, there's some tests that you can do to get like an ideal breathing rate to get someone to lower their heart rate the fastest, you know, as fast as possible. Um, so there's different like how many seconds to breathe in and out, how much you hold it. There's all these different you know techniques that you can use. But the main focus I give them is I want them to take a couple of deep breaths. You know, it can be in between some regular breaths. Hold it for a few seconds and exhale as slow as they possibly can. And when you're out of breath, it's hard to do that. So you almost have to force yourself to let the air out slowly. Um, and I have them do that between, you know, like I said, any, any break that they can. And the reason why, there's, there's a number of reasons, but the main ones are, well, one, breathing that way, it gets your heart rate down as fa faster. Okay. So in a sense, it's saving physical energy. Does that make sense? Like if my heart Absolutely. rate's up yeah. for too long, so over the course of the match, and then over the course of several matches, if you continue to play, I'm res I have more reserves of energy. So at the end of a match, I'm going to have more power, more energy to, to push myself, to go for those last few shots, to finish off the match. I'm going to recover faster and have more energy in the bank in my reserves for the next match and for the next week and the week after that. So it's managing my physical energy. The other thing it does by exhaling slower, when we inhale, it's very sympathetic. You know, it's like fight, flight, freeze. You know, it's like very, uh, and, and we need that when we're competing, obviously, but not overly, right? We don't want to be over aroused, overstimulated. So when I exhale, when we exhale, we're parasympathetic, right? So we're more rest, digest. We can think more clearly. Our executive functioning, like our ability to see things objectively and make clear decisions improves, right? Our sense of like clarity and calmness improve as we're exhaling. So in a given three minute block, if I can spend most of that time exhaling, I've spent most of that time in that better state of mind. Wow. Does this make sense? Yeah. Right? And then the third thing it does is as I'm sure all of the people who have ever competed, and I mean, they, they work at, whether they, they work at a sales job or a job or they're athletes or coaches, any performance, one of the worst things that happens to most people is that their head goes all over, their thoughts go all over the place. They panic, they freak out, they can't think clearly. So by getting them to focus on one thing, they're focusing on one thing. <laughs> they're not thinking about anything else. It's, it's literally forcing them to like shut off all the noise and just focus on this one thing. And then often what happens is those little moments go, ah, oh. like have you ever had a, um, a, a, something you're trying to come up with a solution for or create something or get an answer to something or you're struggling with whatever and you can't seem to come up with an answer and then like you're in the shower one day and you go, oh crap, it just like hits you out of nowhere. I do most like of my this, best like, thinking moment. in the shower. <laughs> of course, because it's one of those moments where you've just stopped, right? You've stopped the noise. You stopped thinking about all these different things and have all these distractions. It's the, I mean, where else do we have right now? Like if you think that's going to sound really weird, I just thought of it now, is where in our normal day-to-day -day life do we have like just time to ourselves that's just quiet? It's usually somewhere in the restroom, right? Like doing other things, but usually it's the shower. It's like, yeah. it's relaxing. It's making us breathe. It's just like time out. Driving is a and good so you, one as well, actually. Just yeah, driving yeah, it on is. the interstate. Yeah, you just, exactly. Just, you go in this sort of out, this weird state of mind. And like you, you sort of have this aha moment. For me, it's doing jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu. I'll have a crazy hard session. I get in my car, I turn the car and like also I have this like this click in my mind like, oh, that was the answer. Why was I so worried about it? Uh, it's like this weird aha moment, you know? That's why I but, took um, up ice hockey yeah. actually because um, really? uh, just last year, I'm not very good, but because I can only focus on chasing the puck and skating and my brain clears. Yeah. But just going back to what you said about the word focus, I find that mm -hmm. very interesting because uh, I work with sort of competing teenagers and oftentimes I yep. say to them, what are you thinking about or what's going on or what do you need to be doing mm. in this point and they look at me mm. with a very straight face and say i wasn't focused i must focus and i always say mm. on what, <laughs> what should you mean? focus yeah. what does the word <laughs> focus <laughs> mean on its own are you yeah. focusing on lunch or on that bird or that tree <laughs> what does it mean and they'll say something like oh the ball and, and sure. like, no, we've got to actually figure out what we're focusing on so i really like your idea yes. of breathing because that's, mm. a that's a thing we can actually focus on. Yes. Well, that's a, that's a great point, too. Like, what does focus mean? Like, <laughs> you know, actually, you know, um, what I was going to say is, is ah, I forget now. That's why it'll come back to me later. But with that, 
with the breathing. Oh, this thing is that most people, let's say we're talking about athletes specifically right now. Okay. All of them train, all of them practice, all of them recover. They, you know, the information on how to physically develop the, the, the capacity to perform whatever given sport you're playing, everyone, the information is out there now, right? And everyone's doing it. So what's the difference between the person who just falls apart on the court and the one who can perform their best when it matters, like on game day? It's usually what's upstairs, right? Like you said earlier when we were speaking earlier off the, off the phone was what's between the ears, right? It's very, very difficult, especially in the moment, in the moment to pull all your thoughts in and focus on something, right? It's very, very difficult to control your thoughts and your mind unless you, you know, you're some like Buddha monk who's been doing it your whole life. It's very, very difficult. The reason I use this is just as one of you know several tools I like to use is that it's a physical, tangible thing. Exactly. It doesn't matter who you are. It's just like write it like like in tennis players. I'll have them write the numbers like the, the breathing rate, like you know six, four, ten, or three, four, whatever their breathing numbers are. Have it right on the handle of the racket. Yeah. Or put it on a piece of paper on the on the chair so they see it and it's a trigger for them to remember. Yeah. If I'm on, if I'm there, I'll do like a little like a thing with my hands and like they know that means breathe. I go, oh, yeah, and they'll take a deep breath, even if it's just one between the serve or something. Yeah. Just to slow down that heart rate. So no, I love it. And then it, yeah, and it do what what. See, and this is why a lot of what I do, it, it's all about how the the mind controls the body or influences the body, and the body influences the mind. So in the stressful moments, we have to do something with our body to get us to be where we the state that we need to be, whether it's stimulated, aroused, or relaxed and calm, whatever is required for us to deal with the situation. It's hard to do that from a mindset side, from a psychological side, in the moment. So you need to find physical things to do to get you in the state, to get you back on track. And so this is, it doesn't matter the age of athlete or experience level of the athlete or, or even when I work in like the more corporate people, when they have a lot of pressure on them, it's the same thing. It's like, okay, just, you know, let's, let's teach you how to set up a trigger or a reminder, wherever it is in your environment, to do this one simple thing. And then it becomes automatic eventually. And, and you can be very specific and fine tune it and all these, you know, different breathing rates and techniques and you can make it sound all like, you know, you can sound all smart and sciencey, but at the end of the day, it's just like, you know, let's keep it simple. <laughs> let's not overcomplicate things. I think that's so. fantastic advice. And I think you can definitely apply that to all sorts of things. Um, but yeah, the, mm. the definition of the word focus uh, I, is something I really enjoy thinking about because I yeah. was so often told as a child, focus and and I yeah, was like, just, oh yes, no. I must focus. And the, and it's only later on that I started realizing that that alone was completely useless. Yeah, it is, and it's harder, and it messes with people. Those kind of th- those things are so like common, and so it's like telling someone to relax, or so, telling someone, hey, don't don't think of a pink elephant. Like everyone just thought of a pink elephant. Like it's it doesn't work, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's uh, it's it's actually you know what when you were talking about your example with the focus and and the and the younger athletes you're working with is that this is the other thing is. What I like to do to know where I need to take the people I'm working with, like what, what's, what do we need to do right now, is I don't just listen to what they're telling me. I mainly listen to how they're telling it to me. So, for example, let's say if you work with junior athletes, all of us know, and I'm sure most of us can recognize when, when a young person or anyone really is telling us something that they've either, they're just, they've memorized and they're just repeating if they're just saying it because they know you want to hear it. Oh, yes. Or like say with juniors, it's like, oh, I'm just, you can tell they're saying it because that's what their parents have said. Oh, yes. What are you focusing on? And they're just going off a little checklist rather versus it's coming from them. So I think that's another key thing. I mean, there's so much information, but is to make sure that you're, you know, listening to not just what they're saying, but how they're saying it to you. How, how are they actually responding to you? Because that will tell you a lot more than the actual words. Because people are very, very good at manipulating their words around, but not how they say it. It's a, it's a telltale sign. Absolutely. Anyway. No, I think that's really great. So I um, did a little bit of sneaking around your Facebook page, and I saw that your sort okay. of mantra is mindset, movement, and mentorship. Uh, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's a mentorship I started. Yeah, so yeah. we talked <laughs> quite a lot about mindset. Um, sure. And so I'd love to know what the movement is referring to and then we'll get to mentorship afterwards sure well i mean initially i wrote that out because i was I, you know i have a mentorship that i run and that's what it was called the the mindset and movement mentorship right so it was sort of combining the two but it's it's simple like i mean there's so much stuff with the mindset and the movement side as far as i mean i'm not sure what, what part you want to know but the the general part is what i've said already which is that um 
what we do with our body influences our minds, right? Our brain and our, and our mind. Right. And, and how we, what we look at, how we think, how we learn, um, what we do with our time and energy as far as the, the things we expose ourselves to. So our mind and our brain influences our body. You know, so like you have the athlete or the person who prepared, did all the right things physically prepared, had all their data, had all their stats, had all their strategies, had all their physical, whatever the environment is, if they're, you know, a business person or an athlete, whatever, they've done all those physical things, but they didn't really prepare themselves mentally very well. So that, or, or the, the mental side of that, when they show up to perform, lets them down. Like it's from a physical sense, you know, I've had athletes just recently where everything physically, they're just better than they've been their whole life. Physically, we've got them in where they need to be. But on game day or in the moment of those, those stressful moments, their mind just goes, nope, I'm not going to let you do this. This is a threat to me. I'm going to shut down the system and you're not going to be able to move. Do you think that that's a case of um, practicing your movement with your mindset? Uh, so, sorry, yes, I kind of phrased that yeah. incorrectly. But like practicing mm -hmm. your movements side by side with the mental even if it's just a physical practice, even if you're just doing sure. sprints, if you add in mm. the mental side of the things you need to be thinking about in a match situation. Sure. Well, there's, a, yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. Yeah, this, like I said, this is, it's very, for the time that we have right now, this is very, uh, there's a lot of information in this. So there's a few things. How the physical side. So not just talking like the methods I use training and all that. I'm happy to share that or people can contact me and whatever. But from just the, this mentorship sort of view is, Let's say from a physical side, what I do with my body is going to is going to influence directly how I feel right now. So let's say from a, let's talk about performance. If I have an athlete who normally performs their best, um, you know, being sort of fired up, being hyped up, you know, being a little bit more aroused, right? They have a little bit more like intensity behind them, a bit aroused, they're a bit sort of they like to jump around, they like to joke, they like to listen to like you know intense music. And and I'm noticing on game day and performance, you know, they have the presentation to do or the whatever they're doing, and they're a little bit more mellow. And a bit quiet, or they're walking around a bit slower. That tells me that that's not their ideal performance sort of state, right? Because normally they perform their best in this sort of place, but right now they're not there. So instead of me talking to them about, oh, you know, hey man, let's you know, let's just get fired up and oh, rah rah rah, because it just doesn't work, right? You know, unless you're like a an amazing wordsmith genius ninja, using your words in those moments don't always help. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's very rare. So what I can do instead of saying a single word is get them to move in a very specific way that it would be more stimulating to the nervous system to be more intense to be you know whatever having breathing doing getting them to do something that's going to get their breathing up which gets their heart rate up which gets their you know their their arousal up their system gets fired up and so by kickstarting their body often not always because you know they're still you know this is there's nothing black and white here but if i get them moving in a specific way it sort of kickstarts their system and if we've been practicing, you know, practicing this for a while, mm. and they've been focusing on this, yes. just by physically getting them to do this, then they're going to be now more focused mentally, more intense, like in that state that they need to be for that person for that moment to perform their best. And it's the other way around. If someone is normally really calm and mellow, and they like to just have music, they like to go by themselves. You know, I have some some of my coaches and athletes before matches or performances, they they need to just go have some time out, get away from everybody, put some music on, don't want to talk to anybody. Um, and yet they're, they're interacting with everybody or they're joking around or they're more relaxed. They're just sort of like in the restaurant before the match or whatever the environment. It's like, all right, listen, you know, need you go time out. And if they won't, or we can't because of timing, all right, I'll get them to do some movements. That's going to force them to breathe slower, to take deeper breaths. I might do a bit of mobility work. I might be doing some movement based thing. That's going to get them to just, you know, settle down and calm down and get relaxed because they're a bit over aroused right now and they don't perform very well when they're over aroused. Right. No, but that so, makes yeah. quite good sense to actually practice the physical alongside with the mental and to be aware of Ab what's going absolutely. on in your mind and how and absolutely. how the two affect each other. I think that's a really a great thing because I think so often people say, although I mean, there's a really common phrase is that practice makes perfect. And sure. um, I've always been quite cautious with that because I actually think that just practicing on its own, the mechanics of whatever it is you're mm. doing, isn't necessarily going to make you perfect at anything but if you've got a, a focused aware practice um you're mm. actually going to create good habits both mentally and physically and yeah, this is course. something that i found myself exploring only in the last few years and i wish someone had helped me understand that when i was younger yeah <laughs> i know don't we all have those things <laughs> but that's I like it with my combat sport athletes and even for myself 
like we have a saying, it's like, you're going to fight like you train. If you train sort of just like, you know, just kind of doing some drills and kind of just going like ticking the box, like just going through the motion, mm. but and without that, that purpose behind what you're doing, that strategy behind what you're doing, that intensity that you need, then on game day, when the pressure's on, you're going to fall back to what you, your habits are. So one of the things to go back to, well, I'll give you another example, if you like, yeah. as far as the physical side is, okay, so let's say from a, just a, a physical training aspect to get them to learn how to I actually kind of ties in the focus thing too. One of the things I like to do is let's say someone's doing a, you know, some drills or something that their heart rate's going to get, they're going to get really tired, right? And you know that they're going to be slowing down or they're going to want to stop. So it's, you know, a moment where we're doing some quite intense stuff. So imagine, you know, you're doing a workout, doing some runs or doing some sprints or bear crawl, whatever, burpees or whatever it is you like to do. And you have those moments where you have to stop, take a breath for a minute, right? Before you get going and keep, fin- you know, to finish what you're doing. Right. What usually happens is people stop and they're trying to catch their breath. And what are they thinking about, you think? So let's say I had you doing like some crazy sprinting with some, you know, some jumping and doing all kinds of stuff and your heart's exploding, your legs are burning, your, you know, your chest is, you know, heart's going to jump out of your chest Uh and you stop to have a break, but you still got two minutes to go and you're stopping to have a breath. What are you thinking about? Like, you know, Sunday dinner or what are you thinking about? Personally, I'm thinking about oxygen. Yeah, yeah, you're thinking about that, how you're feeling, right? You're like, oh my God, like my legs hurt, my can't breathe, like, get some air, you know, like you're, people are, they're thinking about how they're feeling. They're thinking about how much more time they have to go, or how much further, I mean, you know, whatever. They're thinking about all these other things, right? Mm-hmm. And so what happens in a match when they're in a stressful situation? Oh, I missed this shot, or what about this? Or this? You know, their thoughts again, same thing. Thoughts go all over the place. So what I try to get them to do is, again, to build this habit of, when I feel this way, my heart rates up and I'm working physically really hard and I'm stressing out about it and my thoughts are going to 10 different places, but not in the right place, like to go in in the wrong places, is you're allowed to stop and rest if you need to. But we do either a three or a five count. So uh, so if you're doing a drill, doing whatever and they're dying, right? They're just struggling. Go ahead and stop. But what they're supposed to do is count to either three or five, nice and slow. So they'll be like taking a breath with each one. So they go one, you know, with a big breath and stop two right so let's say it's counting to three they're just slowing down their breath they're just focusing on the counting the one two three much slower than that but just one two three and when they say three in their mind they hit a hit hit a switch like a light switch and they go again and going even if going means they can only do two more steps or one more rep or two more reps or more more ball or whatever it is and they have to stop again it's the same thing no repeat that one two go right so we're three and then go or if it's if it's really hard i'll let them do it to five seconds let's say but it's, it's training them to go, what, I mean, what, what is that doing? What am I thinking about now when I do that? The next phase of go rather than stop, I suppose. Yeah, I'm just thinking on my counting and my breathing. And, I'm, and then when it's time to go, it's just time to go. Like I just, okay, go. Right? And even if it hurts, I'm not going to be thinking about all that pain. Because pain, even though it's always real, pain is literally just a perception. Yeah. Your relationship with what's happened to you, like it's all very relative. It's extremely relative. They've proven it with so much science over and over again in the last few years especially that pain is just pure like mostly a perception of what you believe is happening to you and how bad it is and and how you identify with this stuff right so if if they're stopping and thinking about their legs are being heavier how hard it is or how far they have to go or what more they have to do then of course they're gonna feel like crap they're gonna they're gonna move worse they're gonna perform worse and worst of all for me is they're building bad habits they're they're just enforcing that same mindset of like thinking about the wrong things Instead of like how, you know, focusing on what they can control, focusing on just that next step, like being in the moment, not worrying about the future, because that's all they're worrying about is thinking about how they're going to feel or how long they have to go. Mm-hmm. Like there's no past, there's no future. It's just they have to be like right now. So it helps me get them to build the habit of learning how to be in the moment right now, which is just I'm counting my breaths. <laughs> that's it. I'm only in that moment. And then it's time to go. So it just it helps build that sort of through movement. You know, I can manipulate their, you know, manipulate sounds a bad word, but you know what I mean? I can influence or impact how they're feeling or thinking. And, you know, within these, these movements can incorporate these little things like this to um, build better habits, to get through this, some, some tough physical times so they can control what they can. That's phenomenal, uh, advi- I, phenomenal advice. Why, thank you. It does work though. I, I just, I use it a lot. And I mean, you know, with all these things though, it's, you know, you got to understand like, um, it depends on the athlete or the person that you're working with. You know, some will buy into it and then really make an effort. You know, at the end of the day, all these things that we're talking about, all the tools, all the, the way to look at things, the, you know, gratitude rituals or 
like all these different things that we can do. Like at the end of the day, as speaking from a coach's perspective or, you know, teachers or, or parents, leaders, all these, like for me, understanding like coaching to me is all, it's everything. It is parenting. It's managing people. It's being a sibling, a partner, a friend. It's, it's all the same. Like you're working, if you're interacting with people, it's coaching. That's, that's when I use that phrase coaching um, in all those different contexts, but it's, it's, I don't remember what I was going to say, but it's, it's just, it's just, it's really at the end of the day, our job is to help create environments and give our people that we're working with the tools, help them learn how to use the tools, give them an opportunity to practice and fail until they can figure out how to make it work for themselves. But at the end of the day, they then have to actually want to do it and make the effort to apply those things and not worry about how they look or feel in that process of trying to figure this stuff out. Does it make sense? Oh, no, absolutely. You know I'm, I'm just yeah. sitting here grinning because mm. this is just really interesting stuff and it's such good advice and it's really interesting to hear it from your perspective because uh, I guess I've learned some of these things the hard way over my years on sure. a tennis court, but I've never really had anyone mm. kind of break it down the way you have. And uh, yeah, it's it's good. really good to hear. Um, oh, that's good. I'm glad. You're going to be speaking at our conference in New York, correct? Oh, oh yeah. I'm fired up about that. I'm excited. Yes. Can you tell the us? WTCA conference. Yes. What's that? Can you tell us a little bit about what you're going to be saying without, you know, spoiling No way. It. It's a secret. No, yeah, of course <laughs> I can. Well, I'll try my best not to spoil it, but, you know, the when I when you got when you know, when Sarah approached me asked me about the you know told me about the conference and asked if I would be interested I was like right away before I even knew all the details I just said yes definitely would like to help out be involved and any chance I can to to get out there and share and meet new people and find get feedback from them on you know what what how and when in their experiences I mean I'm there no matter what what I'm going to talk about is you know looking at all the other presenters decided to do something that's more very specific to physical like so I'm going to Speaking mostly, uh, I'll take a step back. When I present, which I do quite a bit of speaking and lecturing, I always incorporate that mindset and movement. So I don't, it doesn't matter if I'm speaking to some, you know, I, I do some work with a few different companies, like some business executives. I did some stuff with Fairfax Media, like just different organizations, some RTOs, like schools, like uh, vocational colleges and universities, like all these kind of things. Like it doesn't matter if it's just the athletes or the coaches. I always find a way uh, I want to incorporate movement managing energy and this mindset because it doesn't matter what you do it's it's all it all crosses over right it all it all applies so even though i'm going to be speaking about something very physical i'm going to make sure i'm going to do my best to get the message across on on to make it work really it's about our focus and our intention behind what we're doing to get the most of our athletes physically so the main specific topic i'll be talking about is um mostly about deceleration right about how to control dynamic posture, how to train for it, how we can sneak those things into our, or what we're already doing with whatever the tennis coach or the fitness coach or the trainer or whatever, you know, physio, whatever, whoever is working with these athletes, these individuals, we don't need to add more time to what they're doing. We don't need to, I'm not going to necessarily give you, I mean, I'm going to show and demonstrate and maybe get people involved in doing some of the exercises that I use. Um, and so maybe there'll be some new things for them, but it'll probably be things they've seen as well. It's not so much the specific exercises because they can take what they're already using and just kind of adjust the, the intention behind what they're doing and the focus and how people are finishing off their exercises or their movements or their drills to incorporate and, and develop this ability to stop and move and control their dynamic balance. So like in tennis specific, you know, in a sport where you're stopping, starting quite a bit, moving different directions, you know, as I said in a little, I don't remember where I said this, maybe an article or somewhere with you guys was, um, you know, the athlete who stops the fastest wins. The person who can stop quicker is going to be faster. If I'm sprinting, you know, I can get to a certain you know, location, like a position on the court, make my shot, but to, if for, for me to slow down, control my posture, make a consistent and accurate shot and then get back to that position, that transition from me getting there and then moving back, it's depending on how well I can absorb that force to stop, to slow down and then keep going. That is going to be the game breaker. If I have to take an extra step to be able to slow down or if I stop and I kind of lean over or my hip breaks or my, you know, as in like my hip line breaks or my shoulder line 
like the axis and all those bricks that's getting all too technical, then that's more energy I have to use to return, to get, you know, to recover for the next shot. So I'm wasting energy and it's more time. So if I have a eight shot rally or seven shot rally, right. And I'm, my ability to slow down is not as good as that other person. Every shot, I get a little bit further behind and a little bit further behind and a little further behind and suddenly I'm off the court or I get, you know, some guy gets a winner on me or something because that little bit, that extra few moments, that few seconds, that, you know, tenths of a second of me being able to slow down, I'm using more energy to, to do it because I don't have developed it very well. I have poor structure, poor movement, poor mobility, poor control. And so I'm going to go through some details of why we do this. Any, any more details than this? No, that's really How great. we can apply that. Yeah. Mm. And so, yeah, so it's just, yeah. So again, and my intention is hopefully to get them to understand the importance of it if they don't already, and then to show them how they can just take what they're already doing, just changing one small little thing so it doesn't add more time. It just changes the intention and the focus, like how the setup is of their, of their drills and their exercises to then develop that. So, because I understand that a lot of, most coaches out there don't have, like the luxury like I do where I'm like tr with my athlete 24 seven when I'm on the tennis tour, I'm with them 24 seven pretty much. Right. So it, it's, it's a different environment where if I'm working at an academy or a university or a school or just locally, you know, I see them a few hours a week, you know, and they want to do tennis. Absolutely. <laughs> right? Or if I, if I'm a trainer, I'm in the gym again, I see them, you know, one or two or maybe three hours a week in the gym and they just want to do, you know, whatever it is they, they, you know, that they're working on. So it's, it's, I want to help find these guys a way to, to, improve what they're doing, be more efficient and more effective with the, the, um, the work they're already doing. Right. So we'll see how we go. We'll see how we go. Man, I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. So are you saying that the people in the front row need to be wearing tennis shoes? Are you going to be calling people out to do some exercises? Hey, man, if anyone wants to come up, and I don't know what the setup is in the space we have, but if anyone wants to jump up and, and have a go and get in, put me on the spot, like, let's go, let's bring it. It'd be awesome. I love it. They want to come and sweat. So I'll just be by myself. I don't have any athletes who will be coming with me because it's like right before the Open. So they'll be busy. I'll just have them do other things. But yeah, anyone there wants to jump up, please, like, come on down. And in fact, depending on the timeline, how much time we have, even if there's some, some, some coaches or trainers that like, want to demonstrate some of their favorite sort of movement drills or techniques that they like to use, whether like tennis drill or a fitness drill, and we just like live on the spot, I'm happy to go, okay, well, this is how we could tweak it to make sure this is being addressed. Because if you don't address this, you know, you're limiting their 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 success, their 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 potential. So I, I like being put on the spot. I don't mind. I love yeah, it. Yeah, no, that's yeah. fantastic. So just so you know, if you're speaking and you need a person, you can always point at me. I'm usually the first person to jump on stage and join in. All right. So make sure while I'm talking, you warm up. Well, I found that I actually learn better when I'm the person that's having the exercise. When when people are saying this is how you need to do it, so I always volunteer sure. at mm. conferences and. People always seem to remember me afterwards too, because I'm the crazy Brit that's joining right. in everything. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. That's good. Yeah, I'll remember that. That'd be fantastic. Cool, man. So yeah, what else would you like to know about? I'm happy. Man, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> we've covered so much. I find all of your stuff about mindset movement really interesting. Um, mm, and the focus, like I think it all comes back down to the focus and whether or not you're using that word in the vague way that is useless or whether you're actually mm. using it in the way that can make a difference. Because oftentimes um, I've found that the intention behind a stroke and the intention mm -hmm. behind a movement can be more important than thinking about the movement itself. Because I think that mm. so often people coach, you know, how to move your feet, where to move your feet, how to swing through the ball. But if, if your intention is simply, for example, on a forwards mm -hmm. weight transfer, right, you're not always going to get a forward weight transfer. But if the intention is there, then your core and your hips and your swing will be engaged as because you're trying for that to do that and so yes, of course and that's going to result in the perfect open stance forehand that you needed even though you never actually got the transfer but you were trying mm. for it and so that's where i think intention and what's going on in your mind is a fascinating thing to play with that's just me i'm not the expert but um that's why it's so no, interesting no, it's to true. hear you say that uh, or something similar mm, no, 100%. Anyway. yeah no it's like again it's another example we've been saying is that a lot of this stuff is similar and crosses over in so many different areas. It's not just like, it's not a black and white thing. There's a lot of 
application to this in environment. But and you're absolutely right. It's all about the intention behind what you're doing, the commitment you have to to that moment, to that shot, to that movement, that ex that, that that external focus, not thinking about like my arm needs to be here, my leg, my foot needs to be there. Right. So that just messes up things. You know, that's not how movement works. Movement works behind the intention of what you're trying to achieve and where you're trying to go, not on like my particular muscle is firing or not firing or my joint angle is this or that. Like it sounds really interesting and very, you know, like someone's very knowledgeable and they, they talk about these kind of cueing of these internal cues of like, you know, the, the joint angles and the, you know, what muscles should be firing when and what order. It's important stuff and valuable stuff. It's stuff that I've been studying forever, but it's not how movement actually works in application. It is about the intention behind what's going on. Like, what are you trying to achieve? What's the actual movement? What's the outcome you want? You focus on that and then everything else usually comes together much quicker. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, if you want, I can tell you one last thing that I usually do to help them be able to, with it. Cause since we seem to be talking about focus in different ways. Yeah. Um, so I don't remember where I, and I, this is, I was just now remembering, I was trying to remember where I originally heard this, some famous author, coach, person, ah, can't remember his name, but I, I got this from somewhere else. Like, you know, like Picasso said, I, I read once Picasso said that, um, you know, good artists borrow, great artists steal. So I'm always, I like to reference where I steal all my stuff, right? <laughs> As we all do. But I mean, I can't remember where I got this, but one of the things that's helped me over the years now, like forever with, with all different sports and even the, some of these business people is, is after every performance, every match, every practice, every training session, it doesn't matter if it's a big one, little one, a long one, short one, if it was just practice and, and messing around or if it was something serious like in a match, is to help them focus on the right things, win or lose, if you did a great job, a bad job, if you got the contract, you didn't get the contract, you, know, you understand, it doesn't matter the outcome, regardless of outcome, after every performance of whatever that means for you, is I have them ask themselves and everyone on the team. So even me as a coach, I'll ask myself the same thing, not just the athlete. And I'll ask the coach to do the same is each in our own minds. What three things, three questions, what worked, you know, what worked well, what didn't work so well, and what are we going to do about it? What's next? What's the plan? What do we need to adjust or change or, you know, whatever. So those are the three questions after every performance, win or lose to just be able to be clear in your mind. Because even if you won, even if you, like the Women's World Cup soccer is going right now, right? The final was just happening a couple hours ago. Last week I watched the U.S. win the semifinal against England. Sorry, I know you're from England. <laughs> uh, so I throw that in there, no. Um, is that they won. But the second half, so you would think, oh, so what happens when people win? They just think about all these great things. Oh, you did that so well, you did this so well, all these kind of great things, right? But what they most likely did at that level, and, and I worked in pro soccer for a while in some Olympic development teams in the U.S. back in the days, is what they should be doing after that match is going, what well, worked well, A, B, and C did really did this great. And individually, they think about it as a team, they can look at this. But also that second half of the match, their passing was terrible, it was inaccurate, their timing was off with their passes. It was like they almost got lucky that they didn't have a draw or a shootout or even lose that match. Because the last half, they didn't perform certain things very well. So if you were to only look at what didn't work well, when you lose, one, it creates a really bad habit, a bad mindset. It puts more pressure on you for the next time because all you think about is all these things that you did wrong. But it's not creating the right habits of knowing how to focus on the right things. And so that way your next day of practice, your next day of training or your next match, you know what you need to focus on because it was very clear. So it's, again, try to keep things as simple as possible. What worked, what didn't work. What are we going to do about it? Yeah. And be very specific oriented, like be very clear and specific. It's not easy to do. I'm trying to do this with one of the girls I'm with now, and she's never had to do a lot of this. And, you know, some resistance because it's, a, you know, it's hard to understand. Sometimes it's easy to get these people, you know, different people to do these things. But even when they do it and they, the words they use are just very generic. It's not very clear. It's not very specific. It's, or, or, they, or they say things Oh, I didn't do this. Like, what did I do really well? What worked well? Well, I didn't serve too many double faults. Okay, that's that means no. We don't. We don't want you to say what you didn't do or what you did bad as a positive. Like, if I say what worked well, and you say to me like, well, I didn't double fault too many times. Okay, that's that's the wrong focus. It would be like my serving improved, right? I, I, I you know, my first serve percentage was you know blah 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 instead of like it was seventy one percent instead of fifty. 
like what it ha- which it has been in the last couple of weeks. You know, some some about what you did do. I like it. Not what you didn't. I <laughs> um I often try to talk to people about phrasing things in the positive way rather than the <clears throat> negative way. You can say the same thing two ways and you can either say it with the negative or the positive. Mm-hmm. And if you're trying to phrase something positively but you say I didn't do this, then it, that is actually a negative phrase. So I 100%. like to talk a lot about rephrasing things in the positive mm. way or in the solution, whatever it is. That's right. 100%. Exactly. That's, that's what, we, what we started off with, was talking about, you know, watching and controlling people's language yep. for all of us. And then and as a team, whether individual sport or business or team sport, it's like everyone else holding everyone else accountable to that. So if you hear someone saying that, you're like, hey, you know, got to call them out on it. Because <laughs> yeah. we just do it automatically. We all do it automatically. We, we just, I, I'm so, I've been doing that way of thinking for as long as I can remember now, you know, maybe even before I could label it, that's just how I always just process stuff. But I still do it. I still think about what I didn't do or what I don't want to do. I'm like, oh, wait, you know, even though I like, I'm so ingrained in this, it's still, I still have a habit. It's like a human nature almost. So yeah, you, to relieve that pressure, have the right focus. You absolutely right. have to train yourself to think in a positive manner. Um, mm. And it's something I also am working on and I've been working on it for a long time but mm. you do it. It almost has to be a constant reminder of. It is. It's 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 all of this thing that we're talking about. It's a living thing. It's not. Oh, I did this and now I'm done. I've got it. Right. It's it's every day, every moment. You have to just be reminding yourself. And and if you can't remind yourself, have people around you that can help you or put things in place that remind you. You know, put triggers somewhere where you create the environment. Is be- you know everything around you that helps provide that. Interestingly yeah, that, that enough, access. from mm. my perspective, mm. one of the reasons yeah. that I was successful in doubles is because mm-hmm. I was good at this for other people. I'm not very yes. good at yeah. it for myself. It's very common, actually. Yeah, you, a lot more common, you might think. But it's also like going back to what we talked about earlier, why I, we're, most of us are willing and able to do more for other people than we are ourselves. Would you agree? Like, does it make sense what I'm saying? Uh, I can see that, yes. Yeah, in some ways, like we're, you know, or, or, or if someone we care about, we have more empathy or sympathy for the for people we care about. We see them going through some struggles or they're failing at something where they, you know, they're trying really hard. They really wanted this and they didn't get it. You know, we feel for these people, but we don't often do that for ourselves. We'll feel sorry for ourselves, right, sometimes, but we don't give ourselves that, that like, that space to, like, be okay that we messed up. You know, or be okay that we, um, you know, we tried and it didn't work out or our decision was the wrong decision, you know, but now we know so we can do something about it. So it kind of goes back to that, that thing I was saying before with the, you know, having some self-compassion Absolutely. for yourself. Yes, I was going to say, so, we've, we've come back around to that, yeah, which yeah, is interesting right. <laughs> because actually I do, what this demonstrates is that all of these things are connected. Um, your mindset, Absolutely. your move, just, just as your mantra is, but it, mm. it really is connected and. I think it's a, mm. it's a very interesting topic. Mm, I love it. It's never ending as well. Uh, and it doesn't always work, but we try. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing to think that an hour has gone by and I've never met you oh, wow. and here yeah. we go. And we're, <laughs> we're talking about this stuff and it's fascinating. And this is one of the things that I really enjoy about the WTCA conferences because mm. these types of conversations occur throughout that two-day period with people that you've never met and you make these new connections and you come that's away amazing. with something that's much more powerful than a friend because you've really connected on a different level like the people that you meet there are so passionate about the sport and their particular aspect in the sport and it's it's a really great mm. vibe there's a great energy and so um i'm looking forward to meeting you and seeing your presentation there and um I'm very much looking forward to that event as a whole. So, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I created a website. It's called thecoachingsweetspot.com. I actually put the the in there. Um, and then my Insta- I guess I suppose Instagram and Facebook. Instagram, I'm just, it's Jason Stacy underscore coach. But Stacy's with no E. It's just S-T-A-C-Y, so there's no E. Um, and that's actually, uh, uh, lately on my Instagram, I've been making more IGTV episodes and little like snippets of some of the things that we've been talking about. Um, for me right now this year, I'm really going to focus on putting more content on social media. One, because I encourage all my uh, mentees and the coaches I'm mentoring um, to do so. So I've got to lead by example. But it's also, I'm in the process of writing a book 
And so this is this yeah, so this is really helpful for me to get feedback from people and and find out what what they're finding useful, what they're finding missing in in their work. Um, so it helps me sort of direct. What's the title where of I'm your gonna... book? That's a great question. That's such a great question. <laughs> I don't have a title yet. It might actually be the coaching sweet spot. It actually might be the name of just of the business I started. I really like that that name. So that's the name of my business is the the coaching sweet spot because it's about finding that perfect balance of all the different elements. That is a great name. Um, a performance. Why, well, thank you. So there you go. Anyhow, thank you so much for all this. I really enjoyed this. We, like, and just, I think we could talk for hours and hours, and I hope I was clear enough for everyone. If, if anyone wants to get in touch, feel free. Just, just find me. Um, I don't have people doing my social media. I'm, I'll be there. I'll you know, contact me through the website or through social media, 100% happy to help where I can. No, thank you so much. This has been really interesting. I've really enjoyed chatting with you today and I'm really looking forward to meeting you in New York. Well, me too. Thank you so much. I'm the same. I'm fired up. I cannot wait. Yeah. I'm excited. Counting down the days. So awesome. let's make it happen. All righty. Cool. Well, thanks everybody. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, Jason. I'm so looking forward to seeing you on the 24th and the 25th of August at the Marriott LaGuardia Hotel in New York. Yes, and for those of you out there listening, you still have time to register for this conference. It's your chance to see people like Jason and Dr. Mark Kovacs and keynote speaker Billy Jean King. That is correct. So go ahead to wctatennis.org and book your space now for the stellar lineup of coaches and experts in our industry. Connect with us on all the social media. Look for WTCA Tennis and, of course, the Tennis Connection podcast to get in touch. I'm your host, Margot Carter. And I would like for you to hit a lot of tennis balls this week. Until next time. Bye.